Okay. So, Ashkocha um, Pratis, that tonight we have here two birthdays, as was just mentioned, and we uh, gather to talk about Pesach, which Pesach is called the birthday of Klal Yisro. The, um, the Navi Yecheskel calls it Yom Huladis, the day of the birth of Klal Yisro. And as I want to discuss with you tonight, we'll see how a number of the ideas of Pesach really surround this concept of being the birth of Klal Yisro, and a lot of the mitzvahs and minhagim and ideas of Pesach are very much connected with this idea of birth. Um, but before we get there, I want to talk about a Tanya idea, where he talks a lot about the whole idea of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Of course, um, it's right before this, this Shabbos, in a couple of days, the Shabbos Mevorchim, is the Shabbos that blesses the month of Nisan. This is the earliest possible Shabbos Mevorchim, because this uh, coming Shabbos is Chav Gimel, the 23rd of Adar. 23rd is one month before Rosh Chodesh, and the next Shabbos is going to be Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So this Shabbos already is Shabbos Mevarchim Nisan, the Shabbos that benches the month of Nisan. Also this Shabbos is called Shabbos Para, because we read the extra Torah portion about bringing the Para Duma, which was to bring Tahara, purity, in advance of the month of Pesach, the holiday of Pesach. And the following Shabbos, which is Rosh Chodesh, is also Parshas HaChodesh, where we read about HaChodesh HaZalachem, the mitzvahs of Pesach, which was the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people as a nation. So Nisan there's a, a whole month, no and Nisan is a whole month like Yom Tev, and there's no Tachnon. It's a month of Nisim, a month of miracles. It's a we're we're um, approaching a very very exciting part of the calendar, and so much, so many beautiful ideas. But of course, the center of all that is Yitzias is Yitzias Mitzrayim is Yitzias Mitzrayim. Not cleaning, leaving. <laughs> The uh, the center of all of that is Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which is the Yom Tov of Pesach, celebrating when we became a nation, when Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. Um, there is a beautiful pasuk in Mishlei, where Shlomo Melech writes famously. He writes, "Kamayim haponim leponim." That just like water reflects the face that's that's looking in, that's gazing into water. If one looks down at water on a clear day on a sunny day, so they should see the ref, their reflection staring back at them. So Shlomo Shlomo writes, "Kamayim haponim leponim." Just like water reflects the gaze of the face that's looking into the water, Cain lave haadam el haadam. A heart also is reflective. When one feels and expresses a feeling of love towards another, that naturally will awaken the other to feel also a reciprocal feeling of love. And that's what Shlomo Malach writes, that water is reflective of the face that's shown in the water, and a heart of a person is reflective of the love that's shown, that's expressed towards it. And in a very special chapter of Tanya, chapter 46 that I have open in front of me, Perik Memvav, the Alti Rebbe expounds on that idea in his connection with us and our relationship to Hashem. And he says, and of course there's so much about trying to awaken feelings of Ahavas Hashem, love of Hashem. We know that on our soul level, we all love Hashem anyway. We don't have to do anything for it. But we're people and we're, it's not just our neshama, there's this, our whole human experience. And Avas Hashem is one of the mitzvahs that we work on. We work on awakening and arousing and, and making greater our feeling of love for Hashem. And in Tanya itself, there's a number of different approaches and a number of different meditations and reflections that can help a person reveal or create their own Avas Hashem. So, in Perik Memvav, in chapter 46, the Alter Rebbe focuses on this Pasuk. He says, in order to awaken love for Hashem, for every person, he says, in fact, he says, this is a way that's karov hadavar ma'od ma'od, a way that's very, very accessible, very, very attainable for every person. To awaken Avas Hashem is to think about the tremendous love that Hashem expresses to us. And by, the more we think about the great love Hashem shows to us, that can and should and will awaken, again, a, a reciprocal feeling of loving Hashem back. So, what should we think about? Because we're, in what story is most apparent Hashem's tremendous love for us? And the Alter Rebbe says, it's the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And he gives a, a mushal, an analogy. He says, you have 
a great, a, great, a great king, a great awesome king, a mighty king with a whole entourage and everything. And then you have a, a poor homeless person that just lives in the street and is this wallowing in the dirt and the dust. And imagine the great king, the great monarch comes with a whole entourage and comes to this poor person who's laying there in, the, in filth and takes the person and brings him into his own palace. Brings him into his own inner chambers of the king and hugs him and kisses him and brings him and gives him food and, and, and invites him to live with him in the palace. And the Altarebbe really draws this picture beautifully. And he says, imagine the tremendous feeling of appreciation and of love that this, again, lowly, uh, homeless, dirty individual is going to feel to the great king who came down from the throne room and invited this person in and gave him everything and gave him clothing and gave him and, and showed the ultimate sense of kirva, of, of closeness and of love to this, to this person. What kind of a love would that generate from this person to the king? Says the Rebbe, that's exactly what happened to us as a people. We were a slave nation in Mitzrayim. We were a slave nation, that's what we were. And we weren't very spiritual either. We know, Kabbalistically speaking, we are on a very, very low level spiritually. So we weren't great spiritually. We definitely weren't well off physically. We were a slave nation, and we were there. And Hashem, who's the Melech Malchi Amlachim, the King of all kings, came down to Mitzrayim. And Mitzrayim itself is called Ervas Haaretz. It's called the lowest of all nations. And Hashem comes Himself to Mitzrayim. And we say, we make a point of this in the Haggadah on Pesach night. We say that Hashem came to Mitzrayim, Ani malach, Ani saraf. Hashem didn't send a malach, He didn't send an angel, He didn't send a messenger. Anihu acher. Hashem Himself comes into Mitzrayim and pulls us and schleps us out of Mitzrayim. Um, and it's this greatest of revelations on that night of, of Yisias Mitzrayim, as we say also in the Haggadah, Nigla Alehem, Melech Malchi Amlachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu that Hashem himself appears and reveals himself to the Jewish people and takes them out of Mitzrayim. But that's not all. He takes us out of Mitzrayim and he brings us to Matan Torah. And he gives us his Torah and he gives us his mitzvahs. And here, um, especially Kabbalistically, the Torah and mitzvahs are called the divine embrace and the divine kiss. In Shir Hashirim, we know that the Torah mitzvahs is always compared to a hug. The mitzvahs are a hug that surround us and the, the Torah that we, that we say verbally and we think about is, is the divine kiss. And Hashem brings us to Matan Torah. And in fact, every time we make a mitzvah, we say, we, may, we do a mitzvah, we make a bracha. And we say, Asher, Kiddishanu b'mitzvosav. What does the word Kiddishanu mean? Make holy. To make, he sanctified us. Where else do we use that word Kiddishanu? By marriage. Right? When a chassan marries a kala, a man marries a woman, it's called kiddushin. And what are the actual words that are said? Hare at mikudeshesli. You are sanctified to me. And that sanctification is the symbol of the ultimate oneness and the ultimate closeness that there can be. And every single time we do a mitzvah, we're saying that that's what Hashem is doing to us. Whatever mitzvah it is. Whether it's washing negelvasa in the morning, we say, Asher kiddushanu b'mitzvosa. If it's washing our hands, if it's lighting a Shabbos candle, if it's eating matzah on Pesach, if it's shaking a lul, if it's putting up a mezuzah, whatever mitzvah that we're doing, we always start with that. We say, Asher Kiddishanu. Hashem sanctified himself. Sanctified us, that is, with the mitzvahs that he is giving to us. And that is the type of closeness that Hashem enables us to, um, to have with him every time we do a mitzvah. And therefore, what the, the point the Alter Rebbe makes here in Tanya is that just like in that analogy, we have this great and awesome and mighty king that comes down to this very lowly individual, again, that's wallowing in the filth and brings him into the palace and washes him and hugs him and kisses him and brings him close and gives him the most exalted position possible. That is what Hashem did to us, Klal Yisrael, by Matan Torah. Um, I'm sorry, by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which culminated with Matan Torah, that he, he came to a lowly nation, a, 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 a nation that was in filth physically and spiritually, and he exalted us to the greatest level of closeness that can possibly be. And that, when we think about, we think about that tremendous exhibit of Ava, of love that Hashem showed to us during Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that is what we should be thinking about in trying to awaken our own feeling of reciprocal love back to Hashem. That is, in short, what he discusses in chapter 46. 
But then the question obviously is, okay, but that happened so many years ago, right? You see, as we're talking about some, what, 3,300 and something years ago, 30 years ago, 31 years ago. So it's such a long time ago to still feel that type of love for Hashem because of the love that He exhibited to us a few thousand years ago. So here we have the next point, which really is what he talks about in chapter 47. And that is the idea that, and we talk about that so much by the Seder, that we're supposed to look at Mitzrayim not as something that has happened once upon a time, a very long time ago, but rather, as we say in the Haggadah, Bechal Dor Vador, in every generation, and here he adds, Bechal Yom Vayom, really every day. We're supposed to think about that and feel like Hashem today is taking me out of Mitzrayim. And what does that mean? Of course, today I'm not in Mitzrayim. Today I'm in Chicago or Lincolnwood or wherever I am. So what's the story of Hashem taking me to Av Mitzrayim? Mm-hmm. But spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. So because we know, our own, our own we know that we have our own our flaws and our own difficulties and our own shallowness and our own um, not greatnesses, right? And every day Hashem, we wake up in the morning, Hashem says, you know what? Today you have the opportunity again to do a mitzvah. And today you have the opportunity again to learn Torah. And today again you have the opportunity to come be with me in my palace. When you open your sitter, when you open your sefer, and when you give tzedakah, and when you do whatever mitzvah you're doing, you have that ability of asher kiddishanu b'mitzvah That Hashem sanctifies us. Or Hashem marries us, so to speak, in that tremendous level of closeness every single day of our life. So just like the first time it happened in this extreme way when we're a slave nation in far off Egypt, and Hashem comes and He says, come with me, really every morning when we wake up, Hashem comes to us and says, come with me. I'm giving you the opportunity to connect to me in all of the different beautiful ways that He gives us that opportunity to connect to Him. And in that way, every day we're able to have that Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and think about that great love that Hashem is exhibiting for us. And especially in which part of the day do we really connect to Hashem and think about that ultimate union that we have to Hashem when we daven, and specifically by Kriyas Shema. When we say the Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad, that is our moment of the day of Kabbalas O Malchus Shemayim, accepting the yoke of Hashem, accepting that our belief in Hashem, that, that statement of our faith and our belief, and that is the special time of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is why, and here we have a very interesting thing, there is a mitzvah every day to mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, not just on Pesach, every single day. When do we do that? At what point in our davening do we mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? So you might say, many times in davening, and that's true, because we do mention it throughout the Siddur, but there's one time that specifically when we're doing that, we're fulfilling the mitzvah, and that is, as you said, in the third section of Shema, right? The Shema itself is made up of three sections. The first is the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, until Uvisharecha. That's from the Torah portion of Vaischanon. The second part is the Vahoyam Shemoah, till Al Haaretz. That's from Parshas Ekev. And the third part, which is Vayomer, and that's in Parshas Shlach, that, that section was chosen because it talks about Yitzhiyas Misraim. It talks about leaving Egypt. So when we do the Shema in the morning, we, we, some time ago we had, I think last year we talked, we had our tefillah classes and we talked about this. When we do the Shema and then we say the third section, we're really um, bundling up two separate mitzvahs. The Shema is a mitzvah to say the Shema. That's one mitzvah. Vayomer is doing the mitzvah of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of mentioning Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim every day. Why then is this mitzvah bundled together with this mitzvah? Why was it made that we do the mitzvah of saying the Shema, the first and second paragraph, and then right away we do the mitzvah of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Says the Alter Rebbe here in Tanya, it's for this reason. Because when we're saying the Shema and we're reconnecting to Hashem, that is the expression of our daily Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And that's why that's the most appropriate time to mention and fulfill this mitzvah of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim on a daily, um, on a daily, uh, on, on, in, a, in a daily manner. Um, Because we want to say it in the morning when we wake up, and by night before we go to bed, it's sort of, it's the opening and the closing of our day. Now, at both points, both when we wake up and we're fresh and we're starting over our day, so we accept the Kabbalah, the yoke of heaven, um, 
uh, you know, strengthening ourselves and, and inspiring ourselves for the day. And by midnight, before we retire, before we give our neshama, so to speak, back to Hashem. Um, so that's sort of a culminating statement of our day so as well. Right, right. So the, the mit, that's the actual mitzvah. That's correct. They say it in the morning when you wake up and by night when you go to sleep. But that would be the reason for it. At the beginning and the end of our day, it sort of encompasses everything of our day within that. So this is a, for, for number one, a Tanya idea on understanding how Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim is actually a, um, a tremendous uh, help, or not help, a tremendous, uh, it enables us to fulfill this great mitzvah of Avas Hashem, of feeling love for Hashem, by thinking about the tremendous chesed and the tremendous ahava, the, the kindness and the love that Hashem exhibited by the first Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim, and really how that continues throughout um, every day of our life, that no matter what, Hashem affords us that tremendous ability of connecting to Him in the deepest and the most powerful ways. And that thinking about that love of Hashem to us should inspire us to have again that kamayim, the kim leva adam al adam, our heart also should be inspired to have that type of love to Hashem. Um, one more point from that chapter of Tanya before we move on is that this concept that when we do a mitzvah, we feel this tremendous union, we're able, to, um, we're able to experience and have this tremendous union with Hashem. One might ask, well, if I would be a tzaddik and I would feel how every mitzvah connects me to Hashem, so then that union is so tremendous. But many times I might do a mitzvah and I don't feel anything. Right? I, again, obviously, I don't know if this applies to anyone here, but, but there, are, there might be people out there that can have this question. You know, great tzaddikim that famously had such excitement to do mitzvahs. You know, take, for example, you know, someone who was famous for that was the great tzaddik Rebbe Yitzchak of Bardichev, who was, was expressed such excitement and dancing every time he came to do a mitzvah. Many times he would invalidate the mitzvah because he would get to it and he would dance and he would, you know, there's an asterisk, he would drop it. Or I, I remember I once heard myself from the Rebbe said that on the day after a long yomtiv, like a long sukkah, he was so excited to put on the tefillin in the morning because he hadn't worn it already in eight days that he couldn't do it. So his Talmidim had to hold him down and wrap the tefillin on his arm. Wow. That was his level of excitement to be able to do a mitzvah of Hashem. So that's great tzaddikim. Most people aren't that way, obviously. Um, but it, so here in the chapter, the Altar makes a very important point. And he says that our feeling when we're doing the mitzvah doesn't affect the level of the union being created. When we're doing a mitzvah, that is affecting that union with Hashem 100%. And that's why every yid, whether they feel or they don't feel, makes Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvah As we said, that means that Hashem is sanctifying us just like the sanctification of marriage when we're doing a mitzvah. Now, if one is a great tzaddik and one is able to feel that and experience that to its fullest, that's wonderful. But if not, one shouldn't think, well, if so, that this mitzvah is not creating that connection. That's, he says clearly that the mitzvah is a mitzvah 100% and every yid, regardless of their level of feeling, the mitzvah is, creates that perfect union and therefore one should feel the tremendous thankfulness and the tremendous simcha that Hashem enables us to have that tremendous union with Him every day, no matter our situation and no matter what happened yesterday and no matter what we're feeling like, but He gives us those daily opportunities and to think about this, and in that way awaken our own Ahav Hashem as well. So that is one idea about Yitzhiyah's Misraim. I guess, I, I, I was thinking about that, like, like the Siddiquim from old time when they were daven all day, like, so when you said, every time you say Asher Kedishanam, I mean, one second, I, I wouldn't be able to finish the brachas, you know, because it's like, you're like, you know, getting that state every single time you have that brachas, and I understand that they're davening all day, just trying to get through the brachas, you know, to forget about everything else. So, yeah, it's like, you know, when you really connect to that thought process and, you know, whatever it is that Hashem, you know, unites with us, yeah, I can understand that, but I guess Hashem, you know, not there. <laughs> right, and sometimes, interestingly, sometimes not feeling something makes it more possible to do than feeling it. If we were to feel that all the time, we might not be able to handle it. Um, and we might not be able to go on with the regular daily life that we're expected to and we're supposed to do, right? 
Um, I, I don't know if it would be a good thing, or in most cases it probably wouldn't be a good thing if we would be dancing all day because of the mitzvahs and not doing what we have to do in life. So sometimes, you know, Hashem knows what He's doing in, in creating people and creating our capacities of feeling and appreciating things. But at the same time, definitely something to think about, and, and especially from time to time, to help us awaken those feelings of Ahavas Hashem. That was, we can do what we need to do, and then maybe five minutes later or maybe an hour later say, Baruch Hashem, thank you for giving this to me. Thank you. you know, it doesn't have to be every second, but it is every second in retrospect. That's it true. is every second. That's true. He's still hugging us. And That's true. I have a question. So we're supposed to think about, you see it's just rhyme, to feel love. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So our thinking is supposed to feel the love. It's supposed to... Awaken. Awaken our hearts. Right. Right. And that's a... That is a very common tanya in Hasidah strain in general, that our heart becomes the key to, uh, our mind becomes the key to our hearts. So what you were saying about the mitzvahs with feeling is that you're talking about feeling starting first there. No, 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 because he understood, because he understood what they are and what they mean to them and what he, what he means to them, therefore his heart was on such a great level of inspiration. So the brain was there first. Too. Right, right. Now, of course, of course, there is many times a disconnect. Like I think about something and it doesn't seem to inspire me so much. So I know the concept and it's not doing the feeling. And th- that's something that's discussed a lot. And of course... One thing that helps with that is thinking more. <laughs> in other words, there's just thinking a cursory, oh, you know, think about it for five minutes, then there's contemplating something. And in order for the mind to have the fullest effect on the heart, so it's not just about thinking about it once and, okay, let's, you know, why am I not dancing from joy? It's something to dwell on. And in, especially in Tanya language, that would be the component of das. Right, Chachma is the basic knowledge, Bina is the understanding, but Das is to connect to it by thinking about it and contemplating it and thinking about it again. And the more we think about something, the more it becomes part of our awareness. And, and ultimately, it should drip into our heart to be able to awaken feeling as well. So, um, yeah, there is that concept that the mind ultimately is supposed to affect the heart step by step. Okay, let's talk about another, another point. And I said we would talk about birthdays. And that is, that I said, that the Navi Yechaskel says that Pesach is called the birthday of Klal Yisrael because really that's when we became a nation. Now, here there's a, a question that many times comes up, and that is, we had Avram Avinu before, we had Yitzchak and Yaakov, we had the 12 Shvatim. So why do we say that Yitzchak and Shraim is the birth of the Jewish people as a nation? Because um, of Matan Torah. Okay, but again, but we had Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We had Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. We had the 12 Shavatim. It wasn't incumbent. Ah, so there's a couple of points here. So one point, as you said correctly, is that before Matan Torah, the mitzvahs were really optional. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew about it because they were great and holy souls and great and holy people. And therefore they decided, they elected to serve Hashem and do His mitzvahs. But they weren't really mitzvahs per se. The word mitzvah means... A commandment. And they weren't commandments until they were commanded. And they weren't commanded until we left Mitzrayim and we got the Torah. So that's the first answer, and it's a correct answer, and it's the basic, simple answer of what happened. But really, that comes together with something else that happened. And that is, and they're very much connected. And that is, from the time we became a nation of Hashem, then our Yiddishkeit is automatic. And it passes on to our children automatically. And even if they opt not to do A, B, or C, they're yidden. Not only like 30 or 40% yidden, they're 100% yidden. In other words, Klal Yisrael became who we are as people, whether we do something or we don't, whether we feel part of it, whether we don't feel part of it. That became the, the essence of who we are. Whereas Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, who were tremendous tzaddikim, but their children, those who opted in, were in. Those who opted out, were out. Right? If, if uh, Avram's son was Yishmael, he wasn't interested. So Yitzchak was Yitzchak Avinu, the greatest tzaddik, and Yishmael wasn't interested, and his children definitely weren't in any form Jewish. 
So Yiddishkeit was optional. And if you wanted to be part of this nation, that's wonderful. If you want out, out. That's not a nation. You know, that's not being a people when if you're in the mood, or if you're up to it, if you're a very spiritual person, then you'll be Jewish today. And then you take a break for you know, the weekend, and on Monday we'll be Jewish again, right? So that's not a nation. That's not a, that's not a symbol of who we are. Once Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim, He says, and especially when He gives us the Torah, He says, Zubanu Bacharta, I choose you as my nation. And from this point on, it's not up to, it's not up to us anymore. It's not up to a person, it's not up to their moods, and it's not up to whether they like it or they don't like it. This is when we become Klal Yisrael. And this is the primary reason why we're called, um, why this is called the Yom Huledis, the birth of Klal Yisrael by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Or to say it a drop differently, but the same idea, Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov had holy neshamas. There's no question about that. But that neshama wasn't really connected to their guf as a, as a human being. It was a holy thing. But it didn't, make, it didn't become part of them so that if they had children, either they had the neshama or they didn't have the neshama. Once the neshama became connected to us, to our body, and that's who we are, so then that's who our children are. Just like a human being, if, if a child decides that they don't want to be human, they want to be something else, that's just who, that's just who we are. Our Yiddishkeit became who we are by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and subsequently by Matan Torah, and that's why it passes along automatically from a parent, as long as the mother is Jewish, to her children, um, and again, not in any way affected by the decisions of the children or the next generation. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing like music. So it's like, when we have children, piece of our neshamas passed down. Yes. Yeah. What did you say? What did you say? Piece of our neshamas passed down to our children. Well, when we talk about neshamas, a neshama doesn't lose it's something. Jewish niche. Yeah. Another. <laughs> another. A, a can. A can. When you light one candle from another. Yes. The first candle doesn't lose some of its light, Correct. right? Because a neshama is not a physical object. I mean, if a fire, fire which is somewhat physical, yeah. but it's enough not physical that nothing is lost. subtracted or right. lost from one when it kindles another. But right. this candle is giving itself over into the next candle. Right. Uh, so a, a, Jew, a Jew has a chelik Hashem put imparted a part of himself within that Jew. And when that woman gives birth to a child, her neshama, she is, she is the conduit to draw down another neshama like hers for her child. So when Sarah had a baby, her neshama wasn't connected to the next neshama that was born? Not in the like same... Fire? So her, so no, no, it wasn't because her neshama and her as a person wasn't one. And that's the difference. Before Matan Torah, although they had great neshamas, that neshama wasn't theirs as a, as a human being. It wasn't part of their just body and, and having children and reproductive. It wasn't part of that. It was a holy neshama that they accessed, that they had. But it wasn't them that therefore automatically should pass on to their child. It didn't become part of them in that way. And that's why one could opt, you know what, I don't want anymore. So it's gone, it's nisht. Once it's me, I can't opt out of being who I am. And that's the difference. Once we, get, we got the Torah, my neshama, it's like stamped into me. It's part of me. It's who I am. Genetic Exactly. Pre and post, Matan Torah, the neshama wasn't, and then it was connected to a book. Exactly. 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 It became who they are as a human being. Sewed in and not sewed in. Okay. 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 <laughs> Which ties into the general difference that I have in Matan Torah, the ability to affect the physical world. It's all connected, the neshama becoming part of the physical person. Right? Is that just like the mitzvahs became, like, instead of using sticks, it became the real deal? Exactly, exactly. The same idea that the kedusha became part of the world and the physical and the worldly, so the neshama became part of the person and the mitzvah became part of the item with which you do the mitzvah, and kedusha becomes more and more part of this world in general. That's right. Okay, so this idea 
that Pesach is where we're born as a nation, as a people, is um, expressed in a number of ideas about Pesach. For example, and perhaps most famously, the mitzvahs, the mitzvahs of Pesach night, the Seder, which is the beginning of Pesach, the great Seder, is around children and chinuch, um, education, right? It's all about the children asking questions and answering the questions of the children and, um, and educating the children. And in fact, the mitzvah of how to tell over the story of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim from year to year in the way the Torah gives the mitzvah is v'higadeta lebincha, to tell it over to your children. And that's how the Seder is run that's in a Jewish home. And that's why it's called a Haggadah from the word v'higadeta, to tell over. Um, and interestingly, um, even if there's no children, it's still supposed to be told over. So if there's two people sitting at the table, one tells it to the other. What if you're doing a Seder by yourself? I don't know that you know, nobody should have to do that. You should do it together. A Seder historically was always a time of family coming together. You know, I'll, I'll digress for a moment. There's an interesting historical reason why the Seder always was a big family get-together of cousins and uncles and, and, and nephews and everything. Why does why the Seder historically perhaps the, the biggest family get-together of the year? And, okay, okay, but there's, a, there's actually a practical, technical answer to that question as well, which is that by the Pesach, they brought the carbon Pesach. The carbon Pesach was a sheep. That entire sheep had to be finished by chatzos, by midnight. All of the meat. So you need a lot of people to eat that sheep. Because if you're sitting with your husband or wife around the Seder table, just you two working on an entire sheep, <laughs> most people would have a lot of leftovers. And having, <laughs> it's important to note the leftovers, leftovers is a problem. Because this is, is this is holy food. This is a carbon on the base of mikdash. Anything left over has to be burnt, and you're burning um, holy meat from the from the mizbeach, and it shouldn't be. It's supposed to be entirely consumed, and therefore, from the time of the chumash, what you did was that that seder night you got the family together, family and friends, and more family, and you had a big festive meal, and you served the carbon pesach, and that's how everyone ate it. So that's what, you know, is the idea of Pesach, and this is all the way down to our generation, and even by so many people who aren't even Torah observant, but this, and they don't know why, and many times if the real time for the Pesach Seder is by night, which is after 9 o'clock, the Sedarim on the block start at 4.30 or something, and many people don't know, but it is ingrained in our tradition that the Seder night is a night for family to come together. And that's a beautiful thing, that it's in the tradition, even if people don't really know the reason for it. But that's, from a technical perspective and standpoint, why it became a night of families coming together to finish the carbon Pesach. But definitely, the deeper idea behind that is because it is a night of chinuch and a night of education, a night of children. And that's all because... We see ourselves as children on this night. This is our birthday. We're born as a people. We're starting over, like a rebirth every year on Pesach. And therefore, it's a night devoted to children, literal children, the children within ourselves, and working on being mechanech, on educating our children and ourselves once again in Torah and in mitzvahs and in preparing once again as we leave Mitzrayim. <sighs> To connect to Hashem, um, to connect to Hashem at a whole new level with the new Yisus Mitzrayim and the new birth and the new um, preparation for Matan Torah and really the whole um, era of time, the whole period of time from Pesach until Shavuos is a period of preparation for Matan Torah, starting from Pesach. Um, and on, on Pesach, we had that tremendous revelation of Hashem on the first night of Pesach, and then you have the seven days of Pesach, and then we had the great revelation of the seventh day of Pesach, which was which was uh, Kriyas Yamsuf, and then that, then you have the whole sphere of Saomer, which is step by step and counting and preparing and working on ourselves um, until we get ready for Shavuos, which is Matan Torah, which was the third tremendous revelation of Hashem at that time, and that's the culmination of what really begins on that first day of Pesach, in the Pesach Seder.
we're so fortunate. We have like such rich holidays all through the year and everything has just such meaning to it. Well, for sure. You know, that that. I, I, I never take that for granted. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. <laughs> what was Revelation on the first day? That was the... When Hashem came and took us out of Mitzrayim. Nigla Aleim, Hashem reveals himself to the Jewish people and takes them out of Mitzrayim. That was the, the three greatest revelations in our yeah, history. The first day was the last Makkah? It was Makas right. It was the same night. At midnight of the first night of Pesach was Makas Bechoros, and then Hashem Nigla Aleim appears, and he, that's when, um, when Paris says to go out of Mitzrayim. So that was the first, and then, then you have seven days later by the Kriyas Yamsuf, and then you have Matan Torah, was the third and greatest of the three. Now, talking about children and birth, one of the great um, attributes of children is, what am I going to say? Curiosity. Curiosity, Theory good. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, purity. Energy. Energy, questions. And I'm going to say humility. Humility really explains a lot of the words that you just said. The reason why children always ask is because they, they're not afraid to ask. And they're not embarrassed to ask. And they don't, they're not expected to know it's okay to ask. And children are always learning. Children learn every single day because they're looking to learn. Because they don't feel like they know already and they want to learn and they want to take in and they're not embarrassed to ask and they're, therefore they're, they grow, they change. So many times you see a child and you see them two months later, wow, such change. Very infrequently do we see that in an adult. <laughs> like, oh, you're so changed in the last two months or two years or 20 years, right? right? We, don't, we don't change as fast because we're already sort of formed. Right? I know already. I understand. I got it. I did that already. You know, it, it's, it's a lot, it's much harder to teach an adult something as far as to teach them in a real way to change because we have the way we are already. We're formed and we're knowledgeable and we finished, we graduated already. We know. So we're the way we are. What is that? Stubborn. Yeah. But children have that simplicity and purity and they want to know and they want to understand and they ask questions and as parents we think sometimes they ask too many questions <laughs> like okay Genugshan, right? and sometimes we say uh, you know when you get older you'll understand right <laughs> I remember the Rebbe saying by Fabrengen he says about, about the answer that's given when you get older you'll understand he said the Rebbe said about himself he says when I was a child I ask questions, and also I was told that when you get older, you'll understand. Typically, those questions, even after I got older, I don't understand them yet. <laughs> but children have the beautiful humility to just to be, to, to be open, to receive, and to learn, and to give, and to forgive. It's all the humility of a child. And that's why, or one of the reasons why, What's the primary mitzvah of the Seder night? What was that? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's her No, it's a, it's a certain person who's calling. Wow. That's an identification. <laughs> What's the primary mitzvah of the Seder night? Okay, got, asking questions. Asking questions. Telling over the story to the children, but. Everyone's not thinking. Oh, eating the, the matzah. All right. oh. And what does matzah symbolize more than anything else? Humility. 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 On that night of Pesach, which is the first, again, it's our birth. It's, it's the night of our birth as a nation. And it's devoted to children and asking questions and giving answers. We all eat matzah. The mitzvah is to eat matzah. And matzah, more than anything else, expresses the concept and the importance of humility. As we know, the, the practical, technical difference between matzah and chametz is that chametz rises and matzah doesn't rise. And the, the actual uh, dough is make, it's made, you make sure in so many different ways to make sure that it doesn't rise at all and it's very flat. And that flatness of matzah represents humility and simplicity. Right? Matzah is not made with a lot of ingredients and to be rich and to be this. No, it's very simple so and it's very humble. 
and it costs so much to humble us even more. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, a, it's all about bringing humility into ourselves. And there's perhaps nothing else as important. When we think about growth and learning and changing as humility. Because as we said before, when one is humble, they're open to hear. They're open to hear, they're open to grow, they're open to change, they're open to um, connect. All of that is because I'm humble. I'm not into myself. I don't know it all already. I'm not formed already. I'm humble like a child. And when one has that humility, then they're able to grow and change and go step by step. Um, a child grows, and for the first 12 or 13 years of their life, they're not even yet, they're on mitzvahs, they're not, there's no commandments, right? The chinuch, the primary education of a child, is before we become bar or bas mitzvah. When they're little children, and they're inquisitive, and they're not full of themselves, that's when we educate. Primarily, in order that when it comes the time to be bar bas mitzvah, they're already somewhat established in a proper way to be a bar bas mitzvah. Now similarly, if Pesach is the day of our birth, then what's the day of our bar or bas mitzvah? Shavuos, Matan Torah. Right? That's when Hashem gave us the mitzvahs. So, well, a child takes 12 or 13 years, we do it in 49 days, but the idea remains that there's the period of chinuch, the period of education, that that is the preparation to Shavuos, which is Matan Torah. So as we're beginning the journey from Pesach to Shavuos, as we're talking about our birth, as we're talking about starting over and being fresh, and starting over that and, and to, to, um, to come to a new level of connection to Hashem, we start with the first mitzvah of Matzah, understanding that to really learn and to really grow and to really change, it starts with real humility. Um, and the, the, the ability to feel open, like a child, to learn and to ask and to grow and to change, and not to be embarrassed to learn and ask and grow and change. That's the beautiful midah of humility, which is symbolized in matzah, that central mitzvah of the Pesach night, which is, again, all about teaching and asking questions and the children. So matzah fits directly into what that, the general theme of that night the beginning of our being as a people is. I'll take that idea one step further. There is a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, which by the way, we also start right after Pesach. All, it's all in the same period of time. And we start doing the weekly Pirkei Avos on Shabbos after Mincha. And there is a beautiful Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Give me a moment. I'm pretty sure it's in Perik Dalit in chapter 4. And that is, yes, mitzvah in Mishnah Chav. And it says there, Halomid Yelet, when you learn Torah with a child, Lemahudomah, what can it be compared when one learns Torah with a child? So it says, no, it says to, to ink that's written on fresh paper or fresh parchment. Halomid Torah Zakin Lemahudomah, if you're learning Torah with an older person, an elderly person, what is it compared to? to ink that's written on paper or parchment that's already been erased and erased again, erased again. Used. Obviously, used parchment, right? When you write something on used parchment, it's a whole different level than writing it on fresh paper. That's the Mishnah. Now, you think about this Mishnah, and you wonder, what was the point of this Mishnah? So, you might say, well, it's to teach the beauty of teaching children Torah. Nice. So the Mishnah just should have said, when you teach children it's like fresh paper. But the other part can be a little bit insulting or hurtful for a lot of people because some people aren't children. Some people are already, you know, old, like 30, or maybe really old, like 40, you know? I mean, I don't know, ancient, like 45. But, <laughs> but the question is, and this is not my question, this is a question that the Rebbe raised. He says, isn't it odd that the Mishnah should say that? It's a very depressing statement. What should I do if I'm already 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80? Like, what's the Mishnah telling me? Okay, stop learning? No, oh, it could be a good thing. You learn something, you, then you erase and you learn something new, and you erase and you learn something new. Okay, okay. That's putting a positive spin on it, but clearly the Mishnah is comparing the writing on something fresh 
towards the writing of something that's already been used. And clearly the indication is, the fresh one is the, is the, is the uh, optimal one. So what is the positive message of this Mishnah for an older person? And that's again a question that the Rebbe raised by Fabring and a very simple question and we're reading this Mishnah. Okay, well, I, I, I blew it. <laughs> I should have learned 50 years ago, right? What is the Mishnah saying? And here the Rebbe said beautifully, a child and an aged person doesn't mean by years. It means humble or not humble. The child is one who learns with humility, one who's open to ask and to hear and to take it in. When a person learns like a child, whether they're 20 or 10 or 50 or 80, but when they learn like a child, then they're fresh. Then they're open to receive, they're open to grow, they're open to change because they have the freshness and the humility of the child to learn in that way. So when the Mishnah says, Halome Torah Yeled, when you're learning with a child, it's learning something fresh, that child might be 75. Doesn't matter, as long as the person is learning like a child. When the person is learning with that sense of openness, like the child says, Tamak, tell me please, why, what, when, where? That openness, that freshness, when you learn that way, then the Torah is able to fully affect the person in a way that's really can be changing, even altering, even if the person is 75 or 85. But, one second, I'm sorry, but halome Torah, zakein. When you learn Torah with the elderly, it doesn't mean elderly on the passport. It means when you learn Torah with someone who feels like, oh, I know it already anyway. I'll listen to what you're saying, but I already understand. That elderly might be 14. Right? A person might be 17, 17 years old, but when you're learning with them, they have the attitude, I know it already. I know, I understand. Okay, I'll hear what you have to say. Then you're writing something on a parchment that's not really accepting because it's already, it's full with, its, with itself. So therefore, the way the Rebbe read this Mishnah, it wasn't putting down people by age. It would be silly to think that the Mishnah would do that, that the Mishnah is trying to say, if you're you know, past 30 or past 60 or past 70, you, you can't learn Torah. Why the, what would be the positive message of such a Mishnah? Rather, the Mishnah is teaching us how a person should learn Torah. And every person has the ability to learn Torah like a Yeled, and every person could learn Torah like a Zokim. Every person could learn with the true humility and openness to really hear and really take in and put aside my own earlier knowledge to hear and listen and learn and change. And then any person could be that Yeled versus any person could be that Zokin who's not learning Torah properly either. And that is, again, back to our Pesach night Seder, why on that night the mitzvah is matzah. Because matzah is humility, it's a night of birth, it's a night of our birthday, it's a night of children, it's a night of questions, and therefore it has to be a night centered around humility and openness to hear and to learn and to experience. Yeah, I'm sorry. And that's makabel, right? To be a to be a makabel, to be a receiver, you have to be empty, right? A cup could be a receiver if it's empty, but if the cup is full, it's not receiving. When we feel full, we can't receive. When we feel empty, as as knowledgeable as we might be, and as much as we may have learned, but when we come and say, "Let's let's hear, let's hear new." a new idea, a new thought, and let that new thought penetrate, then we can be a true Mikabel, and then we're able, we're able to, truly, um, to truly move on. In fact, interestingly, and I don't think this is something that people are makbid on, but it says that the Rebbe's, the matzahs that they had weren't exactly flat, they were a little bit indented like a Mikabel, to receive. And that's an interesting idea. Well, how do they do that? that? I don't, how it's done, I don't know. a form that's like that? I don't know, but you see, you see sometimes matzahs that way. So that's why, that's why, because of that idea that it's a, it's a, sim, it's a symbolism, it's a symbolism of being a macabre. Right, that's, all, that's, the first, that's always the challenge, right, right. But that is the idea, it's all about being macabre, which really, I'll, I'll finish with one last idea. This is also, when talking about the matzah, according to the Zohar, the matzah is called 
The bread of faith. Bread of faith. It's called also in the Pasuk Lechem Oni, bread of affliction. But I'm talking about something else. The Zohar calls the matzahs, Michla Dimehei The bread of belief. The bread of faith. Um, and there's a lot of ideas behind that, and perhaps we'll talk more next week about it, Blinader. Um, but one basic idea is that a child believes. A child, emuna, belief. As we get older, it's more important for us to understand. As we get older, we get our, our intelligent. Our intelligence um, expands, we want to understand, and that's fine. It's good to understand and it's important to understand. But the simplicity of Amuna, the beauty of Amuna, perhaps is purest by a child. A child doesn't have to understand. Beliefs. That Amuna Pshuta is by a child beautiful, and really it's by every yid, because all of us have that child within us. But as we grow and as we develop and as we become more knowledgeable and more thinkers, so we focus more on how much we can understand, the depth and scope of our knowledge and understanding, again, which is fine and important. But it's also important to get in touch with our, what's called, emunapshuta, our simple faith. And therefore, this all goes back to the message of Pesach. Pesach is being born again, being children again, asking again, being humble again. And working on our, on, on our emuna again, on our simple faith, on that emuna that we had as children, that we have passed down in the generations, as we're called, maminim, b'nei maminim, uh, people of faith, people of belief. There were children of people of belief all the way back from Avram Avinu. And Pesach is the time that we focus on that child within us, the humble one within us, the believer within us, the one who asks questions, the one who's looking to grow and looking to be formed and is not formed already. And that's why matzah, in addition to being the bread of humility, is the bread that has the ability to strengthen our emunah. And it's, it's written that especially on the first night of Pesach, the matzah that we eat, just like food, physically sustains us, the matzah has a spiritual capacity to strengthen our emunah, our, our emunah and Hashem, our Amunah and Torah, our Amunah and the foundations of Torah. And as you may know, um, the Rebbe spoke many times about the power of matzah, in addition to being a mitzvah like any other mitzvah, but the specific power, the holiness of matzah to increase the Amunah of a Yid. And therefore, suggested many, many times before Pesach, as we get closer in Pesach, to try to shear matzah, shmura matzah, with other Jewish people that might not have it or do it on their own. And there are opportunities and possibilities of people we meet. Um, it's important to get a couple of boxes of Shmura Matzah and have it handy. So when we meet someone who doesn't have it on their own or wouldn't do it on their own, you give them a gift of a box with three matzahs for the Seder. And aside from like every mitzvah that's beautiful to share with another Yid, this is specifically a mitzvah that connects directly to the neshama of a Yid and to the amuna of a Yid. And there's countless stories about that, of people eating matzah and being inspired and so on and so forth. But that's definitely something to think about in the weeks as, uh, as we um, approaching Pesach. The second night specifically has the power of refuah, of healing. And what, if preps, close, what if you're an Eretz Yisrael? Then both night. nights have the same thing. Both nights have the same kayach. Mm-hmm. But the first night definitely is the night of Amuna, And that's all, again, connected with this general theme we've been talking about tonight, the theme of birthdays. We started off with saying there's birthdays by the table. And it's the birthday of Klal Yisrael in this month, and especially in this Yom Tov, and especially on that first night of Pesach.